Welcome to the Technology Labs podcast number 29. I'm Tom. I'm Rick. And I'm Daniel. And our guest today is Michiel van Oetinchem. Welcome, Michiel. Hi, nice to be here. Um, well, it's a good custom uh, that our guest introduces himself in a couple of sentences. So, Michiel, go ahead. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I'm Michiel van Oetinchem. I'm a program manager at Microsoft in the Microsoft Cloud for Sovereignty team. Sovereignty team. Okay, great. Well, that's already the, the topic of today, the sovereignty uh, topic of, uh, of Microsoft. And uh, good to note for the listeners, you, you cannot see it, but we are guests at Microsoft today. So we record from the uh, Microsoft office in, in Amsterdam. And um, well, uh, the, our host, Daniel, in this case, arranged uh, a nice room for us to be in and uh, to talk with Michiel on, on this topic. Well, before we go there, we have a couple of... Uh, tech updates, tech items uh, to discuss before we get to the nitty gritty details of Microsoft sovereignty. Rick, for you, what's uh, what's your tech item? Well, I have been a user of uh, Twitter for quite a long time uh, already. And although I'm not very, very active on Twitter, but I follow all the developments around Twitter with Elon Musk and all the new stuff. And then more and more people like myself question, should I stay on Twitter or not? On the one hand, it's very convenient to stay. On the other hand, you think, well, some things he says, I'm not sure whether I agree. Um, so then you think, what's the alternative? True. So I uh, found an article on BBC, uh, the BBC hmm? website, which is about Mastodon. Yeah. And Mastodon is apparently a uh, new uh, potential alternative and I do admit I didn't try it yet because I ah. could of course have taken a uh, uh, account right away but I thought let's first look into it a bit and also ask around so true, maybe true. some of you have some experience but yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe based on what I read in the article uh, let me briefly explain how I understand it mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. Go ahead. basically Mastodon is a uh, distributed network of uh, you might say social media uh, servers and um, so but they are all interconnected yeah so if you are on one of these servers you can communicate Connect, with yeah. people on all the other servers exactly and um, yeah and and it, because it's distributed also the moderation is distributed yeah. so yeah. on one server you may be allowed to say much more than on the other yeah. depending on the moderator uh, so exactly. you can hook up with the server that you feel most comfortable with yeah. or most associated with and it's all run by volunteers which is a big advantage and in my eyes also a big risk because uh, <laughs> I, I also read that uh, Mastodon is growing exponentially currently because of all the people that yeah. leave Twitter. Uh, and then uh, some of these servers have already closed for new members because they simply can't keep up. Yeah. Because somebody has to pay for the processing power. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, volunteers want to do the moderation. Yeah. but. Uh -huh. You probably don't want to be a volunteer 24 hours a day. So That's true. That's true. Yeah, I've also read up a little bit on Mastodon and uh, it's it's there for quite a while, actually. So it's not really new. It's uh, It exists for a couple of years already. Yeah, and seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, right. exactly. So and indeed the distributed system is there and uh, because of the not that large numbers, it worked quite well. 
and you have indeed that the local service where you can uh, group together with with like-minded uh, people that's an interesting concept of course uh, although it doesn't scale that well uh, well that that's exactly what you now explained eh? that yeah indeed and uh, i also heard uh, that there's a, a kind of a wave of people going to mastodon and leaving again going and because in the past twitter has also faced other um yeah situations yeah. issues where people tended to leave and didn't leave and went back and forth and back and forth so you see a couple of wave functions of people going back and forth and i can say or at least what i heard about is that indeed the w- current wave is quite big yeah. but the expectations are that that stuff goes back to well, normal between brackets mm-hmm. well, <laughs> one of the interesting things of mastodon is that because of the protocol they use Mm-hmm. You can use it for many more, uh, how do you say, uh, uh, possibilities yeah. than uh, just Twitter-like. Yeah, yeah? Because right. uh, the protocol apparently is quite broad, yeah. so you can yeah. use yeah. it for Facebook-like stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. or LinkedIn-like stuff. Or, so there's there's all kinds of plugins, broader. right? There's all kinds of plugins that make you uh, hook into all kinds of other social media uh, interfaces as well. So you can... Distribute your messages across multiple platforms uh, f- from uh, just like you had in the uh, in the past, where there was one kind of unified messenger-like application, TweetDeck, or th- these kind of things. It's it's similar to that uh, in that sense. And well, what I know of is that the interface for uh, Mastodon is uh, is also a little bit more techy. So it's yeah. it's not that low threshold to. No. Sign up for <laughs> for Mastodon. <laughs> that, yeah, that's learning curve is always going to be, curve, be yeah. uh, a determining factor in how many people are going to use it. Mm. And I, I guess you know that's the distributed nature is great. And, and as as techies, we 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 love that sort of stuff. Yeah. But as a regular user, you know, I want to be able to you know connect with uh, the, the the people that I find interesting. True. Now, if somebody that I find interesting is on a different server from yeah. uh, where I'm at, then I may need to do something. You know? yeah. So there's a uh, uh, there there's more stuff that you need to do. And True. so you know, to be honest, most people like uh, to be spoon fed. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. uh, let's yeah. well, if 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 we really all always wanted to have full control, we wouldn't watch TV. No, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Same well, thing, yeah. One of the interesting things that I have seen happening over the years with all kinds of technologies is that it starts very techy and then it becomes more and more user-friendly. Of course. I, yeah. I remember installing the first ADSL line in my home, <laughs> which was a, a hell of a job with all kinds of codes and things. And today you just plug it in and it works. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and that's with... A lot of oh. technology. So I guess if more and more non-tech people go to Mastodon, then other people will create an easier interface. Yeah, probably because it, it is open source. Eh? Mastodon is open yeah, source, yeah. fully open source. So you can uh, always uh, submit a change request for user friendliness on, uh, on all kinds of parts. And hopefully the community picks it up. And and, uh, and that that's a good thing. And again, that's a bad thing because you see that a lot of Mastodon servers, local servers have all kinds of updates because of the community that works with it and they build stuff on their server, but it might not be uh, distributed to the to the, to the the entire community. And that's okay. all, uh, as well yeah. one of the weaknesses because, yeah. Um, I'm also really interested in uh, how many people actually 
work with Mastodon. Because oh, yeah. I've seen a lot of people lately move to Mastodon or at least create an account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, but how yeah. many do actually use it and how many do actually leave Twitter? Because what I see now is a lot of yeah. people who create their yeah. Mastodon account and they kind of do simultaneously the yeah. same thing. Yeah. So they post on both Mastodon and Twitter yeah, 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 yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know how long that will be the yeah, case well, because uh, it the, feels, yeah. Of course, there will be a tipping point if if it comes, but then there will be a tipping point where Mastodon might be so big that people don't need Twitter anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think from the, a numbers <laughs> perspective, we're not quite there <laughs> no. yet. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, yeah, and, and, you have and, a point and, there. And, and I, I think that a, a lot will hinge on what happens next at Twitter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and there's, you know, uh, we all hear the bad stories. I actually read a very good story uh, just last night okay. um, uh, on uh, Community Notes, which okay. is a, uh, a way to fact check... So there's a there's a group of people that volunteers from various backgrounds that can uh, sort of fact check uh, tweets. And the interesting thing was that uh, there was a tweet by Elon Musk, and it got fact checked by Community Notes. And um, uh, the, the the way it works a little bit, uh, it's so you know you can fact check by going and just uh, uh, responding to a tweet and say, oh, this is wrong. And, but this is actually something where it's being uh, 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 done in a community fashion that you, know, you can upvote on oh. uh, the, the best response. And because there's a wide variety of opinions, the sort of most moderate mm-hmm. uh, 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 a community note actually tends to end up as the, the fact check. So oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way to uh, 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 make these community notes work as a commonly accepted fact check. And that may take out some of the sting mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. on Twitter. Now, obviously, they'll, they'll need to uh, keep running. That's yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, right yeah. now. But the yeah. community notes, is it from Twitter itself? Yes. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard a little bit. It's, it's based on, on, on the polis uh, system out of Taiwan, which Taiwan uses to uh, crowdsource uh, legislation. Okay. So it's very, oh. it, it was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, but cool. but what, you, what, what of the downsides would be, at least what people would say, probably because it takes the sting out of other stuff, and like you mentioned, mm-hmm. out, out of Twitter. But I think that there's a lot of people on Twitter that like, that are there because of the the spikes maybe right that maybe, it, yeah. it, for them it might be it might not be the best thing to to, uh, <laughs> to encounter right it, yeah if, um. if you if you want to create the scent yes you, you won't <laughs> <have> the <community. laughs> it's a little bit like the, the chronological timeline or not right so it, yeah it's whether you like it or not if you like the, the algorithm that presents you the, the the messages that you like or whether you want to have the uh, chronological timeline based yeah. on just what is posted at what point. I think that was the first thing that Elon Musk yeah, yeah, did yeah, yeah. When, yeah. when he owned the company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. interesting stuff going on uh, uh, between, in this case, Mastodon and, uh, yeah. and Twitter. And indeed, like Michiel said, yeah, let's let's see what, what the next <laughs> steps will be or what the next uh, events will be at Twitter because a lot is going on there, uh, I guess. Okay. Um, well, uh, Daniel, what is what's your tech update for yeah, today? I ha- had an update about Elizabeth Holmes, and um, I kind of forgot about her. 
And um, she is, or she used to be the uh, the CEO of Veranos. Okay. Um, which is a yeah, it was a startup that was working on um, like medical um, medical things where you can have a drop of blood. Yeah. And then you can find out a lot of things about someone. Okay. Okay. So okay. you can find out about diseases, etc., that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's. Um, what they promised, at least. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and now yeah. you now you get the story. Um, so she has been sentenced to over eleven years in prison Oof. because she um, uh, told a lot of things that they were doing, but it wasn't true. Uh, and they had a yeah. bunch of investors. She was like the 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 poster lady of the uh, the startup scene. Like this is yeah. the amazing success story, and it turned out to be fake. Yeah. Um, ah. And uh, yeah, that's of course a felony. <laughs> so uh, now she has been uh, sentenced to eleven years in prison. Ouch! And this was kind of my story because I and we we always hear the, the good stories, right? A lot yeah, of the yeah. amazing stories. startup stories, but there are so many that aren't like that. Yeah. And yeah. Um, one of the things, uh, also related to Twitter, for instance, there's a Dutch company that uh, was bought by Twitter for newsletters. Okay. Um, it was called Revu- Review, mm-hmm. and they bought it, and it was like a really success story of the Netherlands. But they got axed uh, <laughs> during oh. the uh, during the Twitter layoffs. Last, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Last month, I believe. Yeah, last month. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the whole team got axed. There was only one person left. I I read. I think there's one left. The, the, yeah. The, the, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that was kind of that was kind of sad because I'm using that actually for for a newsletter and it was a free tool. It was really nice and it was also a pretty interesting thought of Twitter because they wanted to go to long form um, Mm -hmm. content as well instead of just uh, 140 or 280. It's now. Yeah, Yeah. characters. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. the amount of characters. Yeah, Yeah. 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 so they were working on that, but uh, now they uh, exited again. So, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, Elizabeth Holmes, it's an interesting story to hear about that also because yeah. she, they got a crazy, crazy high valuation. Uh, and that's also the, the weird thing yeah, here. Because I, I guess a lot of people lost a lot of money there. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know it, how much. Yeah. But that, that's the same with that FTX thing. Yeah. It's also not yeah. a positive story <laughs> right now. <laughs> and that, that CEO is also not. Not you know, mm-hmm. he's he's in the Bahamas, I guess. I ah. think, and uh, they don't have an extradition treaty with the U.S. Yeah. Uh, and that might be one of the reasons why he's there. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But what is really interesting here, what, what at least what I find really interesting, is that she got sentenced to prison, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of startups, of course, they make a lot of promises, and and they tend to overpromise a lot and not make it happen. And then you, as an investor, yeah, it's a risk to invest, yeah. and you lose some, you win some money, you lose some money, right? But in this case, she got sentenced to prison. That's yeah, quite some serious. Yeah, the level of uh, uh, promises or maybe lies yeah. that she has given, because uh, you, you can, as a startup, you can promise that you will do your best to do something, and then sometimes it works, sometimes yeah, it doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. But as long as you do your best and you can prove that you were. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, mean, yeah I, I think. But the, if you actually and and demonstrably deliberately lie yeah. and then. <laughs> 
cheat people, yeah, then that's a different story. To to yeah, I think I think that's the problem. <laughs> it's it's de deliberate fraud. Yeah. yeah, yeah, going to the Bahamas, sitting there, and, yeah. and uh, making use of all that investment money. That yeah. that would be indeed deliberate fraud. Yeah. Yeah. So with Elizabeth Holmes, she uh, defrauded ten victims out of one hundred and twenty-one million dollars. So 121 million. basically you get back your money's worth your right? money's yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So, so 10 or 20 people invest 10 or 20 euros and then sure. somebody can actually uh, make a nice book yeah and then you get it and uh, well then uh, it's a good starting point for someone, yeah. but but you also see on Kickstarters uh, projects raising uh, one to five million uh, dollars or euros. So yeah, depending on yeah. the kind of money you need to yeah. actually develop. Yeah, or when it's popular, then it 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 goes over the the amount of money needed uh, in in order to yeah. make it happen. And but then again, the Kickstarter mechanism also ensures a little bit of safety there, right? I mean, the the, the amount of money is put on a is, is a reservation. It's not. Yeah, they can can cannot immediately spend exactly. it on the Bahamas. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not immediately, no. <laughs> That's true. Okay, well, the final tech update, uh, tech item that I brought with me is um, an article that I read in the newspaper, Dutch newspaper yesterday, uh, or Saturday, at least this weekend. Uh, and it was about a big uh, neutron cannon, basically, being created in Sweden. And a yeah, a neutron cannon. And now you're wondering, okay, why do we need a neutron cannon? What can we do with it, right? Uh, you can uh, look inside things, basically. What we uh, we have microscopes and very strong electron microscopes, even to look to the surface of a uh, specific object or uh, tiny objects and get the nitty gritty details out of it. And with a neutron cannon, we can look into, um, uh, yeah, basically as a, as an X big X-ray machine, uh, look to the nitty gritty details inside things. Okay. So they. And uh, what's the difference with X-ray then? Uh, that the uh, the resolution basically, X-ray has not the best resolution. It's quite oh. crude uh, radiation, and um, it bounces of of specific things in a piece of material. And with neutrons, you can uh, uh, get to every cell, uh, basically to the cell level, and you can see the cell individual cells, yeah, doing what they do in inside a. Uh, a product based on the um, on the energy you put into the neutrons that you send inside that oh, object that you're going to look okay. at. Uh, but they're building one in uh, in Sweden, uh, a really big one, and they 
usually you uh, when you uh, build a neutron cannon you you uh, need a lot of heavy isotopes so radioactive material there's also another way of doing it and that's using very heavy metal and wolfram wolfram i don't know yeah yeah, yeah. exactly and that's a very heavy metal they created a, a concrete block of i don't know three six thousand tons of concrete and inside it they put three tons of wolfram Oh. So it's quite a heavy block. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when you bombard it with uh, hydrogen cores, you get nitrogen out of it. But you need uh, a very cooled down piece of heavy metal, in this case the Wolfram. It's cooled down to two degrees uh, above the absolute uh, zero point. Absolute point. Uh, that's uh, quite, quite cool. Uh, yeah, that's quite cool. That's, uh, 200 something degrees below zero. Uh, 273 minus 2 is 271, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. 0.15 okay. if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Michiel is confirming this. Yeah. <laughs> very well, very well. Thank you. Thank you. Nerd alert. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, but yeah, but I thought the, 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 the engineering feat of creating such a thing uh, is, is incredible. Um, they're building it right now. They have um, well, started the Kickstarter. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It needed some funding. Funds. There were some funds in, uh, involved, uh, indeed. Um, uh, I have in the article somewhere the amount of money involved. It's a couple of billion. Uh, it's not a Kickstarter. No, it's not a Kickstarter. Well, and maybe it's Kickstarter amongst governments because I'm not sure whether yeah. Sweden can afford this alone. No, it's a, it's a European uh, um, uh, development uh, piece, uh, roughly two, what is it, two billion euros, yeah, uh, paid by European money, money, where Sweden and Denmark have the biggest part. And what is interesting, the Netherlands didn't participate, so we didn't pitch oh. in, basically. So in terms of Kickstarter, <laughs> yeah, there needs to be... a a lot of lobbying with the uh, government to to yeah, put in yeah. those an x amount of millions to yeah to be part of it so we We're don't get money. to use it <laughs> so we cannot make use of it or at least we have very difficult a lot of difficulty in using it when it's finished we don't get to go there with our i don't know what, what right. we want so to look at when but it becomes a success that's a big problem yeah if it's not a success Somebody said, "Oh, what a good decision!" Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, obviously. That's the obviously. trouble with experimental stuff. Yeah. 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 That. Yeah. That's that's yeah. the case. But yeah. And when do we expect uh, to make the first pictures with the machine? Uh, I believe in a year or so it should be um, should be finished. Okay. And um, yeah, so they're so quite quite. Um, we'll uh, keep an eye out, and uh, next yeah. year in uh, and next oh. episode we'll discuss it again. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Let's let's see and. Uh, yeah, who knows one day that we can uh, make use of it, uh, creating great pictures. We're, we're now creating great pictures of the universe with uh, uh, with our James Webb, James uh, Webb uh, telescope. <laughs> uh, so that's looking at the big picture, and this thing can look at the small pictures. Uh, can take the small pictures. So it's great. nice opposite of these two. Okay, enough tech updates for now. Nerd alert was already there. So <laughs> let's let's. Uh, I don't know if we, we need it again with with the topic of today, Michiel. Uh, um, uh, sovereignty, Microsoft uh, sovereignty. No, I wouldn't say sovereignty is a very nerdy topic. It's actually okay. a lot is is about policy, sure. uh, government policy, and and so on. So, uh, although I should add that sovereignty means a lot to many different many different people have uh, different opinions on it, and 
that depends on which industry you're in and uh, how hardcore they are around what sovereignty is supposed to be. Um, you know, there's the political definition, and yeah. then there's you know how do you translate that into technical uh, the technical definition, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you get into the especially in in the cloud world, you get into this interesting space where uh, different things become. Uh, contradictory to one another. Oh, that's always, so, that's, but, but that's that's always start, interesting. Let, let's start with the definition part, because when we started uh, just before the podcast, we were already struggling with the word sovereignty. Sovereignty. And, uh, sovereignty <laughs> came, came, no, no, came no, into no. being. Sovereignty. But sovereignty. it's clearly sovereignty. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's clear. So let's go definition-wise. Okay, okay, so sovereignty is, is a term that comes from uh, the political space. Right. And it basically means having full control over your own territory. And mm -hmm. you know, we've in, in recent years we've seen a lot of this, and especially now with the war in Ukraine and and, and the gas supply and so yeah. on. This is a very big topic. It's basically being independent. And so you can argue that today there is no single country in the world that's fully sovereign because there yeah. all, are all these interdependencies that sure. we've yeah. created. Yeah. 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 Um, so when you flip this to sort of the technical world um you know it used to be that our government had had their own data center and or data centers hopefully <laughs> <laughs> hopefully yeah. there's a backup yeah. And, 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 yeah, and yeah yeah and they were running all their stuff from that data center uh -huh. uh, or those data centers and um then you are from uh, technically you're pretty much fully sovereign because uh you know you uh, you're you're in full control of the data center, you're in full control of the servers that are running in there, uh, uh, the data and, and all that sort of stuff. And um, it was also pretty much, you know, security of an environment was pretty much, I secure my network and we're good. Yeah. And that started to change basically when the internet came yeah. into play because yeah, yeah, we yeah, started yeah. to connect stuff yeah, and, and all of a sudden, yeah. Um, what's happened over the years is that you know the internet has become more powerful, and uh, we've turned into the cloud. And now the cloud provides all these services, and particularly one thing that the cloud provides is security services. Um, Microsoft just released their uh, 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 cyber defense report, and currently we process forty-three trillion security signals per day. Okay, so quite a lot. Yeah, so going to so if you look at that from the security lens, why do we process so many signals? Because we get signals from all over the world, and so we see things that a lot of other uh, people don't do. If you have your own data center sitting somewhere, then you will see a fraction of that sort of signal. So now securing your environment becomes very hard, relatively speaking. And what we're seeing is, you know, there's nation state actors that are mm -hmm. uh, uh, attacking stuff. Uh, there's, you know, script kiddies yeah, and yeah, criminal yeah. enterprises, everything in between, you know, um, uh, there's, there's lots of, there are lots of things in the news around ransomware attacks and so on. So, um, when, when you talk about sovereignty, one of the first things that you should be thinking about is security. Um, I, I, I typically say you cannot sovereign uh, cannot be sovereign if you're not secure um, but security used to be this simple thing I have the network and now I'm 
now I'm uh, I have my network controls and now I'm secure. And in the cloud world, that notion's completely on its head. We now have to uh, look at security and say, well, actually, the gold standard for security is putting stuff in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Now it becomes interesting mm-hmm. because if first I had full control and I was fully sovereign, now once I go to a cloud provider, I get into the situation where I may not be in full control. And there are concerns that uh, uh, that you need to raise. First one is, or well, in no particular order, but <laughs> okay, um, yeah. uh, one of the concerns is, okay, what happens if the network cables into my country get cut and I have all my stuff in the cloud, then what? If if the region, the, the cloud region that I'm operating in or regions are not in my country and I can't get out, then I don't have access to my stuff. Uh, opposite, if uh, the cloud environment starts to degrade because network cables have been cut, then I also have a yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, now, you know, the the story there is is far more complicated from a technical perspective than I laid out right yeah, now. But yeah, this yeah. is the concern that we hear from our customers, um, and we have to explain sort of what happens in these sorts of scenarios and yeah. what you can do to mitigate and so on. Uh, the second concern is uh, around what what we call data sovereignty, and data sovereignty is um, how much control do I have over my data? And particularly from a legal perspective, are there any, uh, uh, you know, uh, are there any foreign uh, bodies that could request my data from the cloud provider? And you may have heard the term Cloud Act and you may have heard the term yeah. FISA. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the US, because most of the cloud providers are US based, are uh, is uh, uh, you know scrutinized over this very much. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, don't fool yourself. There are other countries that have similar laws. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I can so, imagine. Yeah. Uh, so um, the 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 problem then becomes: so if I was if I'm if I need to be secure, I need to be in the cloud. Now this is this is an over yeah, oversimplification, yeah, yeah. but for by and large this is true. Then. I open myself up to another risk, and that is risk from a foreign power. Yeah. Uh, now, if that's a foreign power that does nation-state attacks, then I'm actually safest in the cloud. But when it comes to the legal aspects, I become, uh, uh, you know, I become at risk. Yeah. And this is where a lot of discussion, is, especially in the EU today, is focused on, yeah. um, uh, because they're they're somewhat rightfully saying, well, if I as a government put stuff in the cloud, then uh, nobody else should be able to touch it and nobody else should be able to request it. And so how do you solve that problem? Yeah. And that is a, that's a, a large problem. Um, but the, 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 and then the third or fourth thing that we hear is, oh, and by the way, we do want all those benefits from hyperscaling. We do want to use all <laughs> yeah, the services yeah, and yeah, so yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the first reaction that we typically get, and this has been, I've been in this space for about four years. The first question that we get is, can't you build us a cloud based on your technology? Mm-hmm. And we've said yes to this, that a few times. So there's one in the US mm-hmm. for okay. military use. Um, there's uh, a one in China, 
okay. uh, for, you know, because the law there states that Microsoft can't own anything. So if you want to do something in China, you have to work with a, with a partner there. Mm-hmm. And we have announced a few, uh, one in Germany, one in Germany, France, yeah. one in Singapore. But um, and, and these these are also based on, on local legislation, right? I mean, Germany, for example, also has specific legisla- legislation why they why there is now a lo- local What's the, solution I mean, there. Or is not. that also the case that that Germany just is really uh, conservative? Like they they, they had there's kind of issues yeah, going if, to if, the cloud. So so the, so you know, there's I'd say uh, you know we're. we're <laughs> getting to a point where we're, we're starting to uh, talk about Germany specifically. But yeah, yeah, okay. uh, yeah. Uh, the, the, my understanding of the German case is actually that from a legislative perspective, it's not really necessary, okay. but they, they really want it. Um, but if you go to France, there is a, uh, a regulation called Secnum Cloud and Secnum Cloud uh, requires ownership uh, by a uh, French or at least European entity oh, uh, yeah, or yeah. majority ownership. Okay. okay. So, um, uh, but that's for certain workloads, yeah. and that's you know particularly most government workloads fall under that, mm. and there are some industries that fall under that. So um, there is a case to do that. But as I so now let's backtrack. I talked about these. You know, you had stuff in your own data center, and if you're not connected to the, the global cloud, then you don't get all that signal. Well. These environments suffer from that same issue, so there is some. They 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 have some a leg up over. Hey, I'm just going to build some infrastructure and put stuff on it, but they are uh, by their nature somewhat limited in uh, the capabilities that they have. You know, there are some services that we run within our cloud that require so much capacity that building that into a small footprint cloud that mm-hmm, is completely mm-hmm. separate totally doesn't make sense doesn't from make an sense. economical yeah. perspective. Yeah. Um, and uh, so these things cost a lot of money. Right. Um, and uh, so they come at a premium and they have less functionality than the, than, than the hyperscale public cloud. Yeah. Um, so that is this thing that governments are trying to balance and that we as Microsoft uh, are trying to balance, and that's where the Microsoft Cloud for Sovereignty came from. Mm. Where you know, our our premise, and this is also something that we're hearing from uh, our government customers, is that you know, not all applications, not all data, are the same. That's um, true. You yeah. know, when you had your own data center, you could treat it that way. It was easy. You know, it's whether mind. it's whether it's classified. Uh, low, it's unclassified or low classified or high classified, doesn't really matter. I have my own space, it's fully mine, I, I protect it and so on. Um, but if once you get into the situation where, hey, I would like to get these cloud benefits, you can start to think of this differently. I have unclassified data. Take, take our laws, for instance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our laws are public. Yeah, There's yeah. no reason right. that they should be on a system that the government owns. Yeah. The only thing that that there we are interested in is the integrity of the data. Yeah. And I could put the laws in like 10 regions around the world and make sure that nobody could ever get that system down. Yeah. Um, then, you know, there's, there's the next level up, which is, you know, it's 
it's not public data, but it's not really classified. It's to run our operations and it shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be out in the open. Mm, yeah, but yeah. is that something that you need to tuck away in the corner in, in, in a heavily guarded data center and so on? Probably not because it's uh, what your uh, citizens connect to. Take yeah. the tax system, for instance. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do my income tax yeah. through, uh, through the tax authorities website every sure, year. Sure. Um, so, um, it's something that's connected. So it better be, be well protected. You know, that system should not be ransomware and so on. So putting that in, in the cloud actually makes sense, especially because also, you know, you've got something that's called tax season. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't find it responsible as a citizen for my uh, uh, tax authority to have uh, their systems scaled towards tax season and like, uh, 11 years out of the month, they have like 90% more capacity than they yeah, need. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. would be a, uh, you know, would yeah, not be very economical. Yeah. So I think, uh, and so th what we're looking at is on the one hand, helping, helping government customers with what are our options and which option makes sense for which system yeah. based on its data classification, based on what it does and, and so on. I mean, you've got critical infrastructure, which typically isn't classified, but it is, you know, critical. It's it critical. critical. It's, yeah. it, it's important. Um, and the other thing is we're looking at how can we increase the capabilities of those options? So if you look at the mm. cloud for sovereignty, there's it, it, it's not one, it's not one thing. Mm. It's actually multiple things that we're putting together. Um, there's, uh, uh, on the one hand, if you look at uh, uh, confidentiality of data, we're doing interesting things with a technology called confidential computing. Mm -hmm. And confidential computing um, closes the loop basically on uh, uh, being able to breach encrypted data. So we, nowadays, you know, encrypted storage is commonplace. Right. Encrypted transmission, you know, you're yeah, probably yeah. not going to enter your personal data into Wait, a website no, that doesn't have the lock in the, in the browser bar. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, sure. But there was there, there's one weak point still, and that's while it's in use in memory, you know, there is this idea that uh, Microsoft has uh, people running around in the data center that could open up the box and look in the memory. Now, I can assure you that's <laughs> not something that happens. Uh, we, the, the, the data center, A, is far too large for it, but there is also yeah, yeah. loads and loads of controls in place that prevent that from happening. But uh, still, you know, um, if, if theoretically, if you have access to a hypervisor, you have access to um, the data that's in use. And then even if the data is encrypted while it's stored and while it's in transit, I could still extract the key from yeah. uh, the memory and uh, unlock and the data. So yeah. if, I, if I basically close that triangle and the key sits within that triangle, I've now uh, uh, effectively made sure that nobody can access my data unless they have the key. And mm -hmm. if I'm the only one that has access to the key, then nobody can access my data including the, the cloud provider. So it takes the cloud provider out of the trust chain. Yeah. This is fairly new technology, but we do have a few services that run on it. Mm. You can run, uh, there's uh, two flavors of it. I'll, I won't get into that. Uh, I'll, I'll just, you know, it's Intel SDX and AMD SNMP, uh, and they have different uses. Okay. Um, 
you can do Kubernetes in this way. Okay. And we okay. have Azure SQL uh, uh, always encrypted with secure enclaves, which also work in this way. And then uh, there's a few more moving pieces that, that make this work. One is uh, the managed HSM, which has something called secure key release. And that means it will only release the key to an environment that is actually a confidential computing environment. Mm -hmm. And that uh, uh, in, in turn, relies on something that's called the attestation service. And the attestation service does a remote attestation that you're actually running in a, in a confidential environment. Uh, it's actually the code that's actually requesting the key is the code that you expect it okay. to be yeah. and so on. So um, uh, those are the things that, that work together to make that, that work. So that's- May I ask a question to clarify? Because yeah. then if your uh, data is secured, and your connection is secured, and your memory is secured, then where actually does the de-encryption take place? Because you need to show in it unencrypted to the user. So, um, good point. So the, there's there's two aspects to that. One is it, it the decryption takes place inside the CPU, inside what's called a secure enclave, and that's hardware-based. So that's still in the cloud environment. Yes. It's not a client-server technology. It's still on the yeah. server side. I mean, it, where it depending on the technology, if I would okay. if I would log into so with the Intel technology, if I would log in as the administrator on the box, the secure enclave is still encrypted to me. If I would look at the memory there, mm -hmm. it will be all garbled. Okay. So, uh, 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 so that's where where the decryption happens, and the 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 programming code ultimately. Uh, determines when the data is made public and transmitted somewhere where it's not secure. Does that answer your question? Yeah, okay. And I, I'm curious about the situation. You, you already touched a little bit on the situation where um, we would have uh, personal data. Uh, well, the, the, the tax example. That that was yeah. one thing that I was thinking about. Okay, if you have the tax example, of course, taxes are maybe not uh, complete. They don't need to be completely secure, but you want to have the tax system uh, is a vital system, so you want to mm -hmm. have that that, uh, that that in place. And when you do your taxes, there's one thing uh, that's that you are sending some data, personal data, that might be uh, linked to the, the privacy rules that you want to have um, uh, secure, right? Mm -hmm. that, that has a different security level as the tax rules themselves, basically. Yeah. So how does that mix of, of different classifications of data, how does that work? Does, does that go back and forth between this, uh, in, in this sovereignty cloud or how does that work together? So, so, so I'd say that's you guys' job. We're providing the technology that can do okay. this. Okay, okay. And how you, so sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. when data becomes public and where you, you know, uh, uh, that's something that okay. that's system design and that's software design and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because yeah. what what you'd have to do and I think you you took you took a good example mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. you'd have to start mapping out okay right. so what part of this data is sensitive yeah. in that it needs to run in this environment uh, 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 confidentially yeah. because take take that SQL always encrypted mm -hmm. I can on a column basis say this data is sensitive, it's encrypted. So yeah. I could have a lot of data that's you know, 
basically normally stored and normally processed and then have this small bit that is uh, uh, sensitive. Yeah. So I could have like the, uh, the, uh, you know, the amount of income tax and yeah, so yeah. on, but the, the ID of the person, exactly, yeah. that would be encrypted data. Encrypted data, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that then would allow us to do all sorts of uh, uh, things on it. But that's, that's ultimately what, you know, how you use that data, that's up to system design, uh, up to yeah. system design yeah, yeah, yeah. and so on. But this actually requires cool. a lot of new knowledge and, and expertise for uh, systems architects, system designers, programmers. It's, it's it's and, and this comes back to almost the beginning of this topic when I said it's a lot about policy and so on and that's hey um, when when I started in this industry more than twenty five years ago I started off as a web developer uh -huh. um, I would never have thought that I would be thinking about legislation and and all that sort of thing um, it's uh, uh, but I at the core I'm still a techie. Uh, um, I, I, I design uh, stuff within the Microsoft Cloud for Sovereignty and I write documents around how to use these sorts of things and uh, so I provide guidance. So, uh, and that's still technical guidance, but it's technical guidance that is, you know, interspersed is this policy uh, uh, guidance as well, which now becomes part of, you know, as an architect, you need to understand what the policies are and how you need to apply those and how those uh, 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 you know, fit in with the technology. So how does this normally happen? It's completely different, but imagine the EU wants uh, to join the cloud for sovereignty. Um, mm -hmm. Do they come to Microsoft and they ask like, can you map how well this would work for us? Or do they, uh, do you go to the EU and say, well, we have the perfect solution for you? How, how does that usually so, go? So, well, <laughs> so the, the, the EU has a, uh, most and most EU countries, uh, because of that, have a procurement process that's uh, uh, open. So uh -huh. uh, they basically say, we have an RFP, here are our requirements, and you need to meet those requirements. And then we can go in and say, well, we think Microsoft Cloud for Sovereignty uh, for this uh, uh, meets those requirements. Now, typically we wouldn't do that. Um, a partner. A, a partner yeah. would do that. Yeah. If you look at the Microsoft Cloud for Sovereignty, it's ultimately it's a partner-driven motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and for the reasons that I just explained, yep. it is something where you need to have system design and, and, and so on. And that's not something that, we're a platform company. We mm. provide the platform on which you build and we are providing a platform that provides sovereignty controls. And confidential mm. computing is one of them. Our sovereign landing zones are, are, are a different thing of that. That's basically using Azure policy and our Azure landing zones and then layering over the top of that controls that have to do with specific legislation uh, that may have something to do with uh, with sovereignty. So we provide you know, uh, 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 a baseline and then on top of that, we're going to uh, provide quote unquote country packs that look at a specific country and implement those policies. And for certain data types, it could say, well, uh, uh, this is classified data and classified data needs to live in confidential computing. And we can create the policy such that they would enforce that. And then obviously, again, you as the uh, uh, implementer, you would need to say, say, okay, so this piece of data needs to fit there. And so it needs to fit in that part of the landing zone. 
Um, and another option there, you know, if you really don't want to run into public cloud, you could still use hybrid and have benefits Local. of uh, these things, of uh, uh, those policies and so on. And then the, the last thing that we're doing as part of the whole Microsoft Cloud for Sovereignty uh, uh, initiative is that we're uh, increasing transparency. So uh, uh, we already have the government security program, which enables uh, governments to uh, uh, audit some of our source code, um, uh, and and we're 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 building in additional controls, logging controls, and so on okay. that provide additional transparency, uh, because ultimately, you know, uh, what what our customers want to know is not just you know is it safe from a security perspective and so on, but also is Microsoft not just Microsoft, but uh, in this case Microsoft is Microsoft really doing what they say yeah. they are doing. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was just thinking about this because the, when we go back to the start of this whole discussion on sovereignty, sovereignty, it, it means being independent. Eh? That, that's yeah. what we started with, right? The, the kind of the definition there. And if you look at, if I take this step to big tech, eh? you mentioned, of course, we're now talking about Microsoft, but there's a couple of other companies that tend to do similar things. Yep. Uh, looking at Google or uh, Amazon, uh, they kind of have similar ideas yep so if you would make use of the microsoft technology sovereignty cloud and um, uh, secure uh, double security um, a double encryption for example mm -hmm. etc et no, great technology around it but how sovereign are you in using that because you're using and in this case microsoft but it could be any a big tech company um, the discussion on big tech is also about okay how does big tech stack up against countries right that's, yep. that's, a, that's a difficult discussion. Uh, how independent are they in, in, uh, in their being? And uh, for me, it doesn't really matter what, what the country of origin is for such a big tech company because they tend to live outside the boundaries of any company, right? Yep. It's, it's so big that they are a country in themselves in, in that sense. Could you say that, the, that they would be sovereign, independent themselves? Or, or how does that work with the other big tech companies? That's a, that's an interesting question. So basically, if I hear you correctly, you're yeah. asking should should big tech companies be sovereign in themselves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah and, that's actually a uh, question. Yeah, that that would solve a whole lot of problems mm -hmm. uh, uh, because if there's no single country that can exert control over yeah. uh, the cloud providers, then uh, the discussion over hey, the U.S. could make could uh, uh, misuse a cloud provider to cut off uh, you know, the, the uh, cut off service. Yeah, this, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this is one of the other concerns. Like um, uh, 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 when Trump was in power, he at some point uh, uh, said that he would cut off Turkey. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so that raised a lot of concerns. Yeah, like, whoa, yeah, hang yeah. on. Uh, yeah. if, if American companies can no longer do business with Turkey, then uh, what exactly, happens? Exactly. And so, uh, uh, it gives power to one country, and so and and to be honest, that's a uh, the, the, there are some political problems no. that we can't solve with tech. No, 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 no. Um, this that's really a political problem. The, it, it brings me back to one of the first things you said, and that is to be really secure, you need the cloud. Whereas I'm from the era of big mainframes in a room somewhere in your own yeah. building. And, and I cards. think, well, that's probably more secure <laughs> Punch cards, than yes. any cloud. Um, so from a security perspective, so that I, I tend to call that the network control 
and uh, yes, if you can cut off from the network, it's you know it's the old yeah. saying like the the most secure computer is the one that that's you have in a room <laughs> is not connected and it's turned off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, that's not the world we live in. No. And so, so I'm I'm totally with you that for some type of systems, we will still have that situation where the 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 environment is what we call air gapped, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and. Uh, there are systems that will remain air gap and yeah. the defense industry, yeah. the, the, and, and, all kinds of situations. And the solutions can, yeah. for that are not from from a functionality perspective are not great, and they're not going to be great for quite a while unless at some yeah, point well, we that, figure that's that's yeah. the traditional thing where usability and security are always competing, conflicting yes. with each other. Yeah, and yeah absolutely. With each other. And so so unless unless somebody makes a, a a great invention that makes it possible to run these. Uh, gigawatt, almost gigawatt, but you know, hundreds of megawatt data centers uh, on like a small box. Uh, uh, we, you know, we will probably be in this in this conundrum for uh, for years to come. And you know, it comes back to to what I said earlier: is we look at sovereignty in a sense as a spectrum, and on the one end of the spectrum. You know we can service our customers very very well, mm -hmm. and there's the opposite end of the spectrum. And there, you know, everything becomes hard, and there are lots of problems to solve. And the functionality uh, that we can deliver is going to be less than what we can deliver in a cloud environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if I make it a little bit concrete for, for the average bank and the average government institution, this works fine. And if you are a, a let's say the uh, uh, in the army or whatever you have top secret stuff then probably you won't use this yeah no we're top secret <laughs> we're not targeting top secret but in a sense in so a sense the big tech if, if we go back to the big tech part it could be uh, positive to, uh, when opposing uh, political political regimes that that have well strange ideas or well we, we started with with the uh, what was it again the the the, um, uh, the mitigation of uh, uh, opinions on on twitter what yeah. was it again the the, the community the, notes the community notes thank you yeah. that that takes the edge of things right yeah so big tech could potentially takes could potentially take the edge of things as well when uh, say if if uh, russia wants to uh, uh, shut down uh, ukraine's power plants through a uh, cloud solution, something like that, and big tech is against it because they have this well, sovereignty in place and etc. Yeah. Then they wouldn't be able to do that. So that yeah. would be a positive thing so, of, so, of that. So right? Ukraine is a good example yeah. why so, uh, some countries are really reevaluating the way that they think about things like data residency. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Ukraine said, "Hang on, we have data centers in, in Kiev. If those are bombed, then we're you know." We we have nothing. There's nothing less. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, and reversely, if Kiev gets invaded and uh, 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 and Russia takes hold of the data centers, they now have data on all of our citizens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I I remember uh, history uh, where you know here in the Netherlands uh, we used to bomb municipalities because of the public records, uh, oh, so yeah. uh, the, uh, so that you couldn't find out whether somebody was Jewish. Yeah. yeah. Um, during the, the second world war. During yeah. the second yeah. world war. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, this that's is, true. This is, this is in a similar case. So what, what Ukraine did was uh, they moved a lot of their stuff into the cloud because they said, that's actually the place, well, one place where Russia yeah. can't get to it. And by the way, 
if we have if you know we can replicate it all over the world yeah and the interesting thing is that uh, going back to confidential computing confidential computing actually you know once you have conf full confidentiality in place the question uh, becomes is data residency relevant anymore no yeah i would say no no no, no. so then if you want to do something that's really resilient, hey, put it in six regions around the world. And, and no problem, and, yeah. And you have no problem whatsoever. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Well, it, yeah, well, that, that, that's, I think, reaching and looking at the time, reaching to a kind of a, a nice conclusion <laughs> here, right? Uh, putting it like that. So, yeah, I, I can see that uh, sovereignty and, well, in this case, um, can solve, well, solve a lot of things, or at least... Maybe solve is not a good word, but at least puts stuff into perspective with new cloud-like solutions, uh, but also big tech being uh, oh, quite a positive outlook for us on how to approach system engineering with with with, with these kind of solutions with confidentiality confidentiality in mind, uh, uh, etc. So yeah, I, at least I got a good insight on how uh, the Microsoft sovereignty cloud uh, in this case takes hold of these kind of, um, it's not problems, but at least challenges or, or uh, questions. And, and, it, and in the end, and that's, that's also true, it's up to the implementer on how to work with it, right? You, Absolutely. It, it's yeah, so providing the platform, providing the mechanism, but not saying how to use it and how to implement it. Yeah, we're giving you few more knobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my biggest takeaway is that a lot of people will have to learn a lot of new things. Oh yes, oh yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not not that simple. Not that simple. <laughs> web development yeah. so, where where you started, uh, Michiel, as a yeah. simple web developer. So we hope to make yeah. that that easier. <laughs> You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the the long term vision for confidential computing, at least, is that it will be ubiquitous in the platform. Now yeah, that that yeah. will take a long time. I'll I'll, I'll grant that. Mm -hmm. But that's that's where we're headed. And then you know we built these services on top of it. And those services, if they remain working through the same APIs, then most of it will you know, just work. Yeah, cool. But, but that'll take time. It'll, yeah, it'll oh, just yeah, work. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, uh, Michiel, for your insights uh, and this My great pleasure. discussion. Um, well, thank you, listeners, for listening. And uh, we'll hear you in the next podcast. Yeah, until the next one. Till the next one.